Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to our Wednesday night devotional refresh. It's nice to do this in the middle of the week. Close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark's gospel. Grab a Bible. Uh, we're starting in Mark 7, about halfway through. And, and so tonight, there's uh, a woman with a, a demon-possessed daughter. We'll look at that. A, re- a lot of questions that come out of that passage. We'll look at that. Then you have a miracle of healing that Jesus performs. And then you have the feeding of the 4,000. That's in the start of, of chapter 8. And then you have some really uh, pungent lessons from Jesus on on spiritual blindness. So we'll try and pull a couple of thoughts out of each of those as we work through the text tonight. So first, the this Syrophoenician woman with a daughter who was demon-possessed, uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And from there he arose, that's Jesus, and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. You see that several times in in all the synoptics. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. There's this desperation there, just falls at his feet. Now the woman, now Mark feels it's important to put these details in here, and you wonder why, and, and there's a whole explanation that goes along with these coming details. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, and you almost can't imagine Jesus saying this, he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so there's this sequence here. And what, what's being talked about here is Christ coming first to the Jews and then the Gentiles. She answered, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, now this obviously strikes Jesus as being important. He said to her, for this statement, those words, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So what's going on here with those strong words from Jesus the incident has even more impact when you look at, at some of the background information in the Old Testament on Tyre and Sidon, because 24, Mark says, Jesus went into the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's where he encounters this Gentile, Syrophoenician woman who's identified as a Canaanite in Mark's gospel. When you read about Tyre and Sidon, the godlessness of, of those nations under the Old Covenant Joel 3, 4, 5, and 6. What are you to me? God speaks through the prophet. O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia. Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried away my rich treasures into your temples. So they were idolatrous, taking the things of God and using them to worship idols. 
uh, you have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from your own border. So Matthew, he identifies, so there's the region. Matthew identifies the woman as, as a Canaanite. That's in Matthew 15, which, which is even more shocking. When you read like uh, Deuteronomy 7, where God tells uh, the children of Israel going into the land, drive out the Canaanites, all their idols, don't have anything to do with the Canaanites. That's this woman. She's a Canaanite. So she seems to have, she seems to have everything going against her. So what's Jesus doing with, with these words, these, these strange, strange words? And that's what I want to look at now. I see a couple of things. A, notice how Jesus seems to test this woman with these words. In, in verse 27, he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So Jesus knows her background. He knows she knows her background. You can tell that by her response. And so Jesus is testing her. I know, I know these are hard words for us because we can't imagine how strange it would be for people who were used to the terms of the Old Covenant where everything was, everything was designed to keep the Jewish people a separate nation through whom the Messiah would come. They needed that specific identity. Jesus seems to be testing this woman. Would, would she appreciate and understand how the inbreaking of the kingdom was undoing all those ethnic distinctions and divisions of the old covenant? We don't even think in those terms, but these people did. These people did. So would, would this woman, with this request, with this need, would she really appreciate with the coming of Jesus, with the kingdom of God being at hand, would this woman really understand grace didn't come to a certain ethnic group of people, that God was doing something now that transcended the old covenant? And, and would she appreciate it? Would she understand it? That's what Jesus means with those comments. Or would she feel she was somehow uh, disqualified? So that's, that's the meaning behind that question. With all that this woman seemed to have going against her, Jesus is testing her whether she really grasps grace is coming in Jesus. The kingdom is coming in Jesus. It's not limited to this group, this group, that group. There's something that transcends all of it. Okay, B. Jesus specifically says her words were such that she would be blessed. That's in verse 29. And he said to her, for this statement... You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. So, so that is, for that statement, this is what I was looking for. This understanding, this appreciation of who I am and the kind of kingdom, trans-ethnic kingdom that I am now ushering in for your recognition of that, for your understanding of that. That's what's opened the door to my, my, my ministry and my grace in your situation so, so Jesus seems to be leading her to ask, to trust, to, to push back the traditional understandings of the old covenant to see what was coming in Christ. See. And I think this is really relevant. Jesus, Jesus rewards her faith to reach out 
on behalf of someone else, even when the daughter wasn't present with Jesus at the moment. You see it in uh, 24, 25, and then I guess 30. And from there, he arose and went into the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, but he couldn't be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him, came, fell down at his feet, 30, and she went home and found the child lying in bed with the demon gone. See, um, this is relevant for us because so many of the needs we bring to Jesus are, are needs that are physically distant from us, family members far away, missionaries in faraway lands. Most of the things we intercede about, most of them aren't things that are physically present with us at the moment. Sometimes they are. You know, you have, you have times of prayer, laying hands on people, praying for people. But many times the need is somewhere else other than where we are. Did Jesus know that this little girl was in need before the mother came? Why didn't he just heal the little girl before the mother asked? And it, and it just seems, it seems he delights to work through prayer. One person interceding for another situation, even if the other situation is far away. There's, there's something, I think, that touches the way we intercede most of the time. Let's move on through the, the chapter to the, the next event. It's in Mark 7, 31 to 37. And you, and you see... Uh, the genuine compassion, I think, of Jesus' healing, ministry, and touch. 731. Then he entered into the region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So now, now here's a need that's present right there. So you get this contrast in these two accounts laid his hand on him, 33, taking him aside from the crowd privately. Jesus often did that. He wasn't grandstanding. Put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. Strange. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open. His, his tongue was released. He spoke plainly. There's quite a miracle there. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. You see it over and over. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were all astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. So you, the one thing I want to hit on here is you can see so clearly that Jesus didn't perform miracles. Granted, John has these signs, these public signs, but, but overall, Jesus didn't perform miracles just as, as stunts. He wasn't just kind of building his reputation as a healer. He, he takes this poor person away from all the spectators. That's in verse 33. He, he, seems, he seems sensitive to the needs, emotional and physical, of, of the needy. He he cares for you when you're alone as much as when you're in the crowd. So, so 
when you come to Jesus with your need, I just think it's important to remember that he touches with, with compassion. It's not a performance. There's, there's nothing uh, phony in it or worked up. You, you just see the loving compassion of Jesus. Let's move on. Point number three. We're, we're now starting Mark 8. We'll just keep walking through the text. And the feeding of the 4,000 and, and the response, that's in Mark 8, 1 to 21. I won't take time to, to read all of it. But there is something really interesting in the passage. It's very similar to the feeding of the 5,000. We studied that in Mark chapter 6. And it's amazing. After the feeding of the 4,000, his disciples... His disciples come to him, and it's amazing that they ask the same question. After seeing the feeding of the 5,000, now there's the feeding of the 4,000. His disciples come, Mark 8, 4. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, I'm sorry, but you just, you just can't help but feel that, that maybe they should have seen this coming. And, and, and I read this passage and I think, how often am I like that? Where I've seen God do something. I've seen God work. I've seen God's deliverance. I've seen his leading, his blessing on my life and still lack faith. The next time a similar situation comes up, it's, it's a very human situation that we're dealing with here. Now, the most important point for all of us is that spiritual blindness is not usually seen in the people it's affecting. And, and also, spiritual blindness can be a very stubborn thing and a very recurring thing. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? So Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes. Then the disciples get into the boat. They're going across. The sea is rough and stormy. Jesus comes to them. And when Jesus gets in the boat with them, here's what he said after the feeding of the 5,000. This is in Mark 6, 51 and 52, it says he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded, listen, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And what we said in our last devotional study was, here's the disciples who saw the past miracle, but didn't carry the significance of it into the boat and the storm and Jesus walking on the sea. And Jesus comes, and, and there's this gentle rebuke that, that they didn't understand about the feeding of the 5,000, or they wouldn't have been so worried in the boat. Now, right after this, Jesus is feeding 4,000 people with bread, again, same circumstances, and they can't see how he's going to do it. And so, and so A, B, C, you, you start to see how hard it is to get unbelief out of our hearts. This miracle, this miracle seems to be followed by the same warning about blindness again. I see it in 8, 17 to 21. And so they're, they're wondering, how can Jesus feed the 4,000 with bread? Eight seventeen. and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that we have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand and then, and then was Jesus, you know, is he tearing up as he says, 
Are your hearts hardened? That's in 17. 18. Having eyes, do you not see? Ears, do you not hear? And do, do you not remember? Oh boy, do we have trouble with that. Just remembering what God has done and carrying that remembrance into a fresh situation, a new situation. When we can't do that, when we fail to do that repeatedly, Jesus says it's a hard, it's a hard-heartedness that's the problem. And then he walks them through it, 19. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Uh, 12. <laughs> and they can see what Jesus is doing. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? Well, seven. Do you not yet understand? Don't you get it? Don't you get it? Now, I want to talk a little bit of what's happening in this passage. A, the disciples are still slow to exercise faith in the power of Jesus. I see that in verse 4 of chapter 8. His disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's, it's not that they've had no proof. It's that they have uh, habitually and automatically responded to new life situations without factoring in the presence and power and grace of Jesus. It's so easy to do that. These are his disciples. So what they have seen, okay, what they have seen hasn't yet trained them with eyes that see and eyes that understand and eyes that see the significance of Jesus being present in situations. And here's what I see here, the way it applies to me and the way it applies to us. There's, there's this need for, there's this constant need for repetition of the very same lessons in even the sharpest minds and lives. However long you've followed Jesus, you never get to the place where there's this automatic coasting. There's a, there's a, there's a mental recalling a kind of spiritual regurgitating of things already learned, already seen, because apparently what you see here is past lessons don't stay with us. Learning the truth is one thing. Holding on to it is actually even more difficult. So, And so, don't get impatient with the way we need so many things repeated in our lives. Daily Bible study frequent Bible study, regular church attendance, times of repeated prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit, that, that you never do get to the place where you think, okay, I've got this now. And these texts are, are just an abundant proof of that. Something else here, B, immediately upon returning to Jewish territory, Jesus is hounded by the Pharisees to perform another sign. I see that in 8.11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign of heaven to test him. And this request, verse 12 says, this request actually wearied Jesus. Can you imagine? Here, here's, here's Jesus feeding the 5,000 with loaves and fish, walking on the water, getting into the boat, feeding 4,000 with, with the loaves of, of bread, and the miraculous powers of Jesus on display, healing people over and over again. 
And, and, and the Pharisees come and they kind of say, look, Jesus, we'd like to believe in you. If you could just somehow, if you could just demonstrate who you are. And they're making like this is an intellectual problem that lacks evidence. And that never was the problem. The problem was their hard hearts. They did not want to believe. They're trying to blame their unbelief on Jesus is what they're trying to do. See, now Jesus, after this encounter with the Pharisees, after the best evidence displayed, the Pharisees still come up with excuses for not believing in Jesus. Jesus turns to his disciples. See, warns his own disciples that the blind, close-minded thinking of the Pharisees is actually contagious. I see that in Mark 8, uh, 15. And he cautioned them. He's cautioning the disciples. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Leaven. Like, it's, it, it gets in and it spreads. It does its work. It, it, it multiplies. 16. And they, the disciples, began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? And then he goes over the vents, rehearses that with them. And then he closes at the end of verse 21. Don't you understand? And what you see happening here is an unfolding of something Jesus said at the very close, the wrap-up of his parable of the soils. That was in Mark 4. We looked at this, 24 and 25. And And he said this, pay attention to what you hear. Now, remember, They've seen the miracles. They've seen what Jesus was doing. And yet, consistently and repeatedly, they have a hard time trusting, believing. And so Jesus now said, at the close of the parable of the word, the seed landing on the soils, he says, pay attention to what you hear. You kind of sense the urgency there. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And more will be added. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And what I see in that is, if, if we don't put forth, it's not works, but if we don't put forth some kind of energetic effort in, in reestablishing the truths we've learned about Jesus, the things we've heard, pay attention to what you hear. There's hearing and there's paying attention to what you heard. And Jesus says, Don, doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been a pastor or teacher, you need, you need to relearn the same truths over and over again because your heart forgets things. We don't learn spiritual lessons without repetition. We don't learn spiritual lessons without learning. Lastly, D, I think this is exactly what the Apostle James is talking about in James 
1, 21 and 22. And James writes, Pastor James says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly, humbly, that's recognizing my own need for the truths of God's word, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Not just the word, the implanted word. And Jesus would say to the disciples, don't you understand yet? Aren't you remembering these things? And James says the word to, to bear the kind of fruit, the moral power that the word ought to have in our lives. It, it takes more than a glancing blow. It, it takes a word that gets implanted deeply, repetitively, thoughtfully, consciously brought back to the surface during the day over and over again. And, and uh, the idea there is, if, if in like that parable of the soils, if the heart will truly receive the word in this way where the roots get down and implanted, it has tremendous power to grow and develop. 30, 60, 100 fold. That's our walk through Mark 7 and most of Mark 8. Let's pray. We're grateful for these times, times to behold the glory of our Lord and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. How we thank you for this inspired record that we have where the things of Jesus are just so close and learnable. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and enliven the things that we've already heard. Bring back to the top of our minds the things that we've learned long ago and, and need to reemphasize. That, that your word will bear, your implanted word will bear the kind of fruit we want to see grow in our lives. Thanks for these times together. Bless our church. Keep us fruitful in our walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, join us Sunday right here at the church. You have to register, but 10 o'clock, we're, we're kind of live right here in the sanctuary and live stream at 10 o'clock, keeping your joy, the heartfelt theology of an isolated prisoner. Love to have you either here or, or online with us. Sunday night, Repentance. What an important series. 6.30, join us as we study uh, the traits of a repentant heart and how repentance frees the life of future bondage. That'll be the study on Sunday night. God bless you, church. Stay in the Word and love one another.